Hello and welcome to Court Games, a Legend of the Five Rings podcast funded by the Legend of the Five Rings Discord Patreon. This podcast will focus on the role-playing game stories and lore for Legend of the Five Rings. I'm Kova. I'm Kikita Kaori, and today we are here to talk about merchants, sort of. This is the merchant guide to podcasting. No, um... <laughs> we are in fact talking about one of the threats to Rockgan, which is the Colat. But we will share all of that with you after our news. Our recent one-page contest has finished. The theme was Overcoming Fear. The RPG one-page contest winner was Chain of Duty by Case Corday. And it was a very frightening adventure, not for the squeamish, but good for many kinds of adventuring parties. This one will leave your PCs walking without a net, but it does really get to the heart of some great samurai drama. So that's a very deserving winner. Yeah, I thought it was very good. The second place was Mochi Madness by Taratina. And this is a cute and funny little intrigue that is a good introduction to playing in an intrigue and using character objectives. It's a great beginner's intrigue if you want to try and um, learn how to do those in your RPGs with a low-level group. It can work in most kind of campaigns, but it might be uh, a stretch unrealistic for gritty campaigns. This one is more humorous and supernatural. So if you are playing a gritty, realistic campaign then you may have to modify it heavily or just not not do this one. And in third place was Cross into Oblivion by Seabase. Uh, it's a dark play-to-lose scenario where you run afoul of the lying darkness, and that's great for playing the grimmest angst for your PCs. Yeah, it'll get all, all your angst out. <laughs> Who doesn't want to do that? <laughs> Completely different news. In Gen Con Indie this year, Edge Studios will be running Adventures in Rokugan scenarios for Legend of the Five Rings. That's for their new book that's coming out, I believe, this summer. Uh, we can hope. The adventure is called The Festival of One Million Blossoms. And the little blurb about it says... Uh, springtime graces the Emerald Empire. The Phoenix Clan prepared a host of festival honoring the spirits and those who passed the following year. But something isn't right, so we shall find out what is not right. Uh, as a reminder, Adventures in Rokugan is a 5th edition D&D kind of supplement that brings L5R into the D&D world, and it focuses on heroic or epic of samurai adventure. And we'll have links to each of the winning one-page contest entries and also to the Gen Con Indie event page for Festival of One Million Blossoms. So you can check those out. And for those who did not win the one-page contest, thank you so much for contributing and sharing your talents. That they were all so fantastic, and I'm sure it was really hard for everybody to to judge what would be the best ones. Um, we will probably have this again. It's always good to bring these ideas forward, so it's wonderful. Thank you. But on to Colot. 
Yeah, they're, they're actually one of the earlier aspects of the game. It's been around since the I, from my understanding, and and I think you know this more than me. Right from the first sets. Yeah, it was, it was introduced as a kind of sinister human opposition in the CCG very very early on. And it's come forward, but it's it's taken different aspects over the years. So we will kind of talk about that as we um, approach the subject. But the first time, if I recall correctly, that Kolach show up in the RPG is in the GM screen RPG adventure for first edition. That was called Castle of the Hair Clan. And... In that edition, there was a scroll you were trying to save. And the GM screen provided the scroll, which was in Cypher. And so it was a bit of a challenge, and you had to see if you could translate the scroll. You don't have to in order to pass the module, but if you can translate the scroll, then you got your first hints of the Kolat conspiracy. They got their first splat book in the slightly controversial Merchant's Guide to Rock Again. Oh, this one was so hard when it came out. So Merchant's Guide to Rock Again is first edition also. And you have to understand that L5R was one of the very first RPGs that didn't have a shopping list. It didn't have an economy of, of any sort because they were trying to go with the Lord provides you everything idea. But that's not practical in the real world, right? I mean, even in Rokugan, how to manage the economy and how to how to talk about that is it's kind of difficult for a game master to to figure out. Like, how much do I charge for room? How much spending money do my people get? Can they buy a katana? Can they buy a, a night in and in? All of this stuff. When we heard that Merchant's Guide to Rokugan was coming out, talk about the economy. It's like, yes, now we can get our list of stuff to buy. <laughs> yeah, and and I get it because the idea is that because if you have a GM screen that says secrets or GMs, a GM supplement that says, you know, secrets of the Shadowlands or, you know, the horrible things that will eat your player characters' faces, the GM has that at the table, the players have an idea of what's going on. So... When they're introducing this secret conspiracy, I get the idea of having a book where the contents are secret. And so you look at it and just go, Merchant's Guide, okay, I don't care about that. I'm not going to look at that. I don't care about it. And But secretly, oh, it's actually, you know, a source book for the secret conspiracy. I I just don't think it really worked. <laughs> Well, it, it would have totally worked if there wasn't such desire for an actual merchant's guide to Rokugan, because that was the problem. That they thought that nobody would ever want something like that. And we we're all like, okay, this will explain how the economy will work, and this will be our shopping list, and, and this will handle Ronin and all of that stuff. And it didn't handle all of those things. And, and that was why we were a little... And yes, I was one of the people who was fooled, who had it on pre-order as Merchant's Guide to Rokugan. And um, yeah. <laughs> oh, my Lord. That's just, I, I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't laugh so much because go. 
like getting had that that beta switch must have been so awful, so annoying. <laughs> anyway, so the Colot kind of continued in the AEG storyline and adventures as, as this thread until later in the storyline, long after Day of Thunder, when the primary group of Cola was was broken up. And and you know, it then it's kind of switched to having more dark oracles and other things as filling that place. And then it wasn't uh, a big deal in the last part of the storyline. Now, in 5th edition, it exists and it's a very faint thread, but it hasn't been given any focus. So there's a little bit about it in Emerald Empire, and there's a little bit about it in one of the novels. There isn't a whole lot of it in 5th edition, and there's one adventure that touches on it. But we'll talk about it anyway. We'll introduce the subject and we'll, you know, give you something so you can select the level of colot you are comfortable with. So the first question is... If you're not familiar with them, what is the Colat? Who are they? What are they? What are their aims? All that sort of thing. There's they've kind of got two visions of them, but the basic idea is that they are a human widespread conspiracy to overthrow the empire for human reasons and human ends. So, as distinct from the Shadowlands, which wants to supernaturally corrupt people or the lying darkness that wants to supernaturally unmake everything. And as opposed to the various other supernatural things that want to... This is a people problem, and that's the the distinctive thing about the Kodak. Right. They are internal to Rokugan. They aren't run from outside Rokugan. However, they are often very flavored to have a foreign interest in maintaining the conspiracy. They have links to the Burning Sands and they have links to the Yabanjin outside Rokugan. They do go across all the clans. However, they do have historically stronger ties to the Unicorn Clan because of this foreign interest. Yeah, the generally stated objective is the supremacy of humans over the divine or at least not necessarily supremacy but humans should be in charge of themselves as opposed to divinity being in charge of humans so they object to being ruled by the descendants of the kami who fell from heaven they want humans to be in charge of humans Uh, so that's often expressed in a desire to overthrow the hante dynasty Mm-hmm. Now, they are enemies of both the Shadowlands and the Lying Darkness because human beings can't be in charge if they're being controlled by either of those. So you can find yourselves uncomfortable allies of the Kolot. Yeah, which was very much the one time, we'll get into the, into the history, that kind of one of the big things was, in fact, being against the Lying Darkness. Mm-hmm. Because they were subtle enough that they could see what was going on a little better than some of the other people. And, and they they knew about the thing, the magic thing that helped. Now, there's, as you said, there's two kind of takes on the Colot conspiracy. 
um, two two different visions of them. As they were originally conceived, they were kind of um, the mind-washing Illuminati of the world of Rokugan. This was especially clear early in AEG L5R. This was kind of Wick's original vision for them from the very beginning. And it stayed that way to various degrees of omniscience till quite late in the CCG storyline. So the Kolot in that case are extremely high social elite people, individuals, generally. Illuminati type, puller of threads and weaver of nets and stuff. They are almost, but not always, led by highly ranked members of samurai society who you would never suspect to be Kolot. That was a secret Illuminati. They used powerful magics and artifacts to brainwash or mind control, blackmail, or just kind of dupe lesser members of society, all that, that sort of thing, in basically to increase their own power and then do their missions. There was a kind of a cliche for a while of random people turning out to be a Colat secret agent or Colat sleeper agent, literally changing their personality overnight and all that yeah, kind of nonsense. Yeah, we'll talk yeah. about that later too, too. <laughs> we'll talk about that. Um, they send, They generally saw the lower classes as pawns. So these are high-level elite. We're overthrowing the Kuge, basically. <laughs> but, you know, we're still better than all of these. And they see the lower classes as pawns. Yeah, not, not a lot of um, emphasis on changing the hierarchy other than the very top. That's the only thing they wanted to change, essentially. They were essentially all-knowing and all-seeing. They had agents everywhere. People could be agents without knowing it. And they tended to focus on the accumulation of personal wealth and power first and kind of overthrowing the celestial order second or last. I mean, it, <laughs> they, they were not fanatics devoted to their cause. They ha used their cause as an excuse to improve their own power and position. Yeah, well, certainly, certainly so it seemed. If they, were, if they were truly fanatics, they hid it extremely well. The other kind of view of the Colat, and this is, kind of, it seems to be more the way 5th edition is moving, is it's more some kind of revolutionary proletariat-type movement spread throughout society with a strong presence in the lower classes, and you've got agents from all levels of society, but strongly focused on being disgruntled with the entire celestial order and especially the emperor. Right. So this group has varying goals. It could be a low-ranking group of Kolot. This would almost be like a communist revolution cell in France <laughs> or a French revolutionary cell. They might want to bring down the local samurai or otherwise, you know, upturn disorder events within a small region. Whereas a high-ranking member or group, you know, is looking at bringing down the emperor, potentially. They want to overturn the whole social order. They are more human in their power and their source of knowledge. So Hinnon are basically, in many interpretations of uh, Rokugani society, invisible. 
you would not think that that servant cleaning your room has an agenda beyond filling their belly for the next day. You, you know, you just ignore them. They don't count as a normal upper class member of society. They just, they don't count. They don't have a personality. They're just part of the furniture for many social elites. And that's kind of how it's been viewed in many places throughout history about servants. So because Kolot comes out of this servant class more and definitely uses these lower class members of society a lot, um, they grant a kind of omniscience to the Kolot without supernatural intervention because there are so many eyes and ears everywhere listening to things and nobody expects them to be coordinated, but they are and they have good communications networks set up and so on. Yep. And there's much more of a disdain for wealth and, and less of a, a drive for personal power. They, they are more focused on their actual goal. Or at least, thus it appears so far. Who knows? It's all early days yet. Who knows? There's, there's, there's not a lot there. That's true. So I thought we'd talk about uh, the founding of the Kolot next. There's a number of origin stories, but in general, they all kind of tie back to being founded in the very early empire by those humans who did not accept, did not like the Kami's rule from the very time that the Kami t- kind of took over the empire for both the, you know, mind-washing Illuminati and the proletariat revolutionaries in both kinds. They kind of uh, originate with people who did not accept the Kami's rule. Some of them at that time were pushed out of the empire or left the empire because they did not like it to become or join with the Yabanjan or the Ujikai. And some did get pushed in and joined the Shadowlands, but they became lost. Those who remained in the empire became Kolot and kind of passed that down through their family lines. Those who did go on to join the Yabanjan and the Ujik did end up t- maintaining secret ties to the empire. And they maneuvered to re-enter the empire again to overthrow it with the unicorn clan when the unicorn clan returned. So that's kind of where the source of those ties to the, the unicorn begin. Yeah. Um, some kind of highlights of the early history, there was what, there's a line from Shinsei during the first war with the Shadowlands where this is, this is a very classic when he's saying, okay, you need to get one follower from each of the seven great clans to go into the Shadowlands and, and do the stuff. And they were saying, well, why don't the, the Kami was saying, why don't we go? We're, we're very powerful beings. Surely we should go. And Shinsei said, fortune favors the mortal man. And I, that seems to be something that the Kolat took to mean that mortals should be in charge of mortal affairs and they should put the kami in their place and show their weaknesses. Yes, Shinsei was very good at showing the kami themselves were not infallible. You know, he could punch punch them in the face, show them their weaknesses. So that helped enforce within Shinseiism, you know, the philosophy of the Kolat. 
in Fields of Victory, there's a mention of about of the Battle of Shadows Regret, which is in 126. Um, that's the first real coalition. It's led by Doji Takamori, who's called the the Bloody Crane. Um, he creates a coalition of a number of clans and even some imperials to take the throne of the Hante by force along this Kola agenda. So this is very early in Kola's history, like 126, and they're trying to basically do the Kola thing through violence, through through direct measures. They were very much put down by the lion. And since then, they have gone to more subtle means. Yeah, when, when you played the Game of Thrones, etc., etc., uh, and they didn't win, so. <laughs> in about the 400s, you have the Yasuki Wars, where the Yasuki great clan family leaves the crane and joins the crab, and that's often considered to be fueled or in, possibly entirely engendered by Kolat ambitions, and some consider that to be the, the one of the biggest Kolat victories one of their big achievements that they managed to get the yusuke to leave the crane and join the crab right they infiltrated as we said the unicorn in the burning sands when the ujik joined the unicorn uh that is not saying that all the moto are colot though there were some <laughs> well if i remember rightly um, a, a lot of the Shinjo, it turned out. Right. In Old 5R, a lot of the Shinjo ended up being being Kolad. But that that infiltration happened after Shinjo left the Empire and, and during that Burning Sands time. And another thing that was very much to do with the Kolad, which the, they, they got strengthened during the reign of the Steel Chrysanthemum, Hante the 16th. He's the emperor who is generally considered the the worst although the histories have cleaned him up a bit but he were, became increasingly paranoid and was more became more and more dictatorial was promoting fortunes of beetles and torture and dung and was generally awful and had to be killed by his own guard in the end mm-hmm. So he was not a cola. No, no, but he inspired a lot of cola. Yeah, right. He he made the case, and he was touchable. As in, his guards killed him. Uh, before that, the idea of killing the emperor was inconceivable. So he made a big change in the perception and power of the Kolot and, and made people start thinking when other Hante came along that were not good, then maybe something needed to be done about them rather than we have to live with this. Obviously, a lot of this is old 5R history. So this is all under the banner of probably true until shown otherwise. Yes. So keep that in mind. <laughs> right. And that is especially questionable because there are some differences with new 5R Colot. And we're just winging it <laughs> in terms of it. There's so little. Now, we can talk about modern Colot and what they're doing now, but we want to give a huge spoiler warning. 
So if you want to play and not be surprised, you should quit this podcast now. You've heard a little of the Colot history, but we don't want to give away Colot secrets to those who should not know. So go away. Um, (laughs) We will have spoilers for this for Death's Kiss by Josh Reynolds. And we will have spoilers for some adventure modules in this section. So goodbye. All right, everybody who's staying, you're a filthy colot. And uh, (laughs) (laughs) the modern goals of the colot organization involve removing the very unsuitable Hante Sotri with preferably a non-Hante, or at least... Again, like Hante the 16th, moving the empire towards the idea of deposing the Hante. We've definitely seen at least one underground group in unicorn lands, which doesn't necessarily mean they're more prevalent in unicorn lands. It's just that's where our eye was focused at that moment. And they were among the Hamian cast, and they were increasing the power of merchants over samurai. Kolat may possibly be fueling or supporting or providing unknown assistance to the Pure Land sect, which is um, disrupting a lot of the relations between samurai and peasants. They are not running the Pure Land sect. I've not seen very much that indicates any actual ties. I think a lot of this is player speculation. I don't know if there's anything that's actually been published with a link. There's nothing that has been uh, published saying it's definite. So so the Pureland sect is separate. However, the Pureland sect and the Colot sect goals very much align. They, they, or they certainly could be seen to or manipulated to or yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's a convenient link if they are not actually linked at all. And they have powerful members in there up to and including the Imperial Herald. Um, Satoshi. So we told there would be spoilers, and that might drive some of his choices uh, if you read the storyline that he makes. Which may be hearkening back to the old-style Colat more than the modern-style, you know, peasant revolutionaries. So that's an interesting one to be looking at. Is there one single Colat? Are there more than one? Who knows? I mean, the peasant revolutionaries group could still have people sympathetic to them all the way up, or you could have groups manipulating other groups. We don't have enough view into the Colot structure to know that, so we're going to provide these separately, and then you can put them. You can put them together how you want them. So, for the modern Colot organization in fifth edition, we don't actually have a lot of information about this. So this is the, the this is a spoiler warning specifically for Death's Kiss by Josh Reynolds, which is the second Daidoji Shin mystery novel. Uh, if you haven't read it, then I suggest you go do that in about a minute because we're going to start spoiling it right now. Well, you can always put this on pause. <laughs> you can put this on pause. pause. Modern technology is great. Yeah, come back. I recommend it. it's a really good novel. So in Death's Kiss, Josh Reynolds includes a small cell of Colat in Unicorn Lands and led by a member of the Barakamin cast, but also including members of the Heymen, you know, the, the commoners, merchants, and even samurai, or at least ronin. They 
aren't necessarily in any kind of communication with any kind of central leadership. It's a little, there's some little hints, but nothing like we're getting our orders from central leadership or anything like that. Definitely not. Central command has given the final edict and we'll immediately follow it, uh, carry it out. And they are ranked by their skill and effectiveness, not by their status. Yeah. Now, admittedly, we don't know how much this tells us about any other call out anywhere else. Right. I think the benefit of this kind of structure for games is is having this idea that a Brockman or could be in charge of samurai in this. It, 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 it's a very mixed social order. So it's your charisma, it's your status, it's your, it, it's your charisma, it's your skill, it's your effectiveness, as opposed to your status, which for Rokugan just like flips the social order on its head. We have that, that small example, so you can take it as you will. In earlier editions, we have a much more complicated structure for the Kolot. The Kolot in Old 5R were ruled by a council of 10 Kolot masters, each master leading a sect that focuses on a certain aspect of the Kolot enterprise. So they had different specializations and uh, they ran this organization. So uh, the sects were uh, the Chrysanthemum sect run by Master Chrysanthemum, uh, whose job was to monitor the Imperial City. Uh, Master Cloud ran the Cloud sect and they retained the secret knowledge of the Kolat. Master Coin was in charge of the coin sect, obviously, and their job was to gather wealth and distribute wealth as needed, but mostly gather it. <laughs> the Dream sect, led by Master Dream, used the mind as a weapon. So that is where you got your brainwashing and psyops from. They were the ones in charge of that. Master Jade of the Jade Sect was in charge of destroying the Lying Darkness and the Shadowlands. As we said, the Kola are in opposition to those forces, and they had a whole sect that focused on it. Master Lotus of the Lotus Sect was in charge of assassinating Kolat enemies, so they, they were the kill squad. Yes. Master Rock and the Rock Sect were in charge of protecting the Kolat interests in other lands, and also, you know, in general, conveying the... Uh, other lands benefits to Rokugan. Master Silk of the Silk sect was in charge of information gathering. So all, all the spies and such and getting that information and, and getting it where it needed to be. Master Steel and Steel sect was uh, specifically in charge of protecting the hidden temple of the Kolot. The hidden temple of the Kolot was their primary stronghold. It's deep in Phoenix lands. And I want to talk about that in a little bit. So, <laughs> And finally, you have Master Tiger of the Tiger Sect, and they maintained the secrecy of the order. That was their charge. Now, we talked about the Hidden Temple, uh, also tied to the Kolat in Old 5R as part of its organizational structure or kind of adjacent to its organization structure, is the Ox Clan. The Ox Clan ended up being very much tied to the Kolot in its origination. And uh, I don't didn't want to do a whole separate 
know, OxClan aside uh, and talk about its history, but they were kind of a very heavily infused in in the Colot and the Colot were running their, their leadership. So that's kind of a sideways branch of, of the Colot, as it were, in terms of its organization. In Old Tyvar, the Colot had access to various supernatural uh, powers and artifacts, one of the most important being the Oni's Eye, which is a giant crystal that allowed those looking into it to see any location in the Empire, or at least any location under the sky, apparently, and to hear what is going on in any location. So it was a magical spying device that could just work almost anywhere. It could be limited a little bit if you want to in your campaign because it's any location under the sky and that kind of depends how you define that. But it was a an incredibly powerful device. Right. And this is what gives them the whole Illuminati vibes. <laughs> they also had the Oni's Tears. So this uh, Oni Eye, this giant crystal, would shed little little diamond tears on a irregular basis. And if you had a tear and somebody else had a tear, you could communicate using the tear with those at the central eye or or potentially with each other. That is just an enormous amount of organization and power with that artifact. Basically, untaffled communications and unstoppable spying. And that's not ridiculously overpowered in any way whatsoever. And speaking of ridiculously overpowered, they also had access. This is even worse. <laughs> you know, this is actually worse than it's in a different way, yeah. Certain brainwashing spells that they had. So they could make someone into a sleeper agent who would be compelled to perform a certain action when there's a trigger phrase said or some kind of trigger action. Spells that, when used over and over again, would cause a person to lose their moral center and thus become amenable to Colat influence and agenda. We, I don't think either of us particularly were fond of this aspect. No. So you could have it so your character going happily through life and then, boom, be a Colat. <laughs> do Colat action to action. And then you could have it either them remember or, or they could go and now be Colat permanently or you could have them like forget that they did that action. It's not bad as a device for setting up adventures against unstoppable enemies. Uh, you could have your Emerald Magistrate, who's been noble and perfect all campaigns, suddenly turn on you and stab you on the back. And yes, that puts you in a very difficult position as a samurai, but it's just very, very overpowered. And because these are spells, then you're also getting into this supernatural aspect, which begins to get beyond the idea that the cola are meant to be the human evil of the setting as opposed to the supernatural evil. One of the early adventures, and I cannot remember when it, which one it was, my memory is trying to say Night of a Thousand Screams, so I'm not sure that's quite right. But there were Colat summoning Oni and stuff like that. And I think this was because right at the beginning, the reason why there's Colat is because one of the early players of the game wanted a conspiracy and they didn't know what they wanted the conspiracy to be about they wanted there to be a conspiracy 
And so what the conspirators wanted wasn't established for quite some time. And when they finally did, that kind of made some of the things that they had been seen to do not quite fit. So that there had to be some hasty retconning. But the thing I don't particularly like about the brainwashing spells and all that is that cliche of everyone's a Kodak sleeper agent. Right. <laughs> to go along with everyone being a Kitsune and a... And, and a Shosuro actor and, and all that, you know. Right. <laughs> and it, I think one of the problems, and this is a problem with conspiracies in general, from a player's point of view, it can be extremely frustrating. And I'm sure that the GM, it can feel like a really cool thing. Oh, you've dealt with this one cell, but who knows where the next... And it's like, I just want them dealt with. You know, they, it, it can feel like you, you never get anything done. And that can be very frustrating. And especially when the, when the, the Codet had the ridiculous advantages they did in old 5R. Right. So it's a good story engine. You can, you can certainly use Colette. It, um, by having it be a conspiracy called Colette, you don't have to come up with your own you know conspiracies because conspiracies it, it, it's your your party needs opponents and uh you don't want every game to be versus shadowlands or supernatural so this makes total sense to just have something that's making churning out convenient bad guys and conspiracies and stories for your adventures that you can go on and be fighting and human opponents and doing intrigues in court and all of those good things. I mean, it makes sense. The difficulty comes when they're, one, it can be a little lazy too at the same time uh, because, you know, the the co-op thing goes on. You never get anywhere. You, you don't need to come up with a reason why this character, this NPC who's been trusted, you don't need to come up with a reason why they suddenly turn on you. Right. So it's a, it's a little little lazy which is too and and it and it's frustrating especially if it happens multiple times. You should feel like you defeated them all. Yeah, you should feel like you're getting somewhere. But once you know they're colot then you know you can't. There's an interesting thing at the moment where I think people are projecting very modern views of politics and things back onto the colot and trying to make them essentially a modern political movement in a way which I don't think actually fits with the landscape that Rock Again has, you know. I mean, you know, not, not, not that there aren't, you know, revolutions and such, but I just think they would be different. Right, because uh, they would be happening more in the open. Iko, Iko Iki, you know, peasant uprisings. The, per- the perfect land sect is, is much more, because that was a thing that actually happened in the kind of time period that we're pretending that we're kind of digging from. But, you know, that's, that's a, a, a bit of a nitpick, I guess. That's definitely a thing. And it's easy to map our modern sensibilities. There's a lot in ancient Japan and Rokugan that is disturbing and not cool from modern sensibility. Even even from then, it was not 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 cool. That, I mean, it's not it's not good. That's the problem of playing any game that is I don't know not sci-fi, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and and certainly when we don't ignore it the way we do in Dungeons and Dragons. Right with D and D, we completely ignore it. With L five R, we 
don't completely ignore it, or we don't have to, but then you have to confront it. And where do you draw the line? So that can make the co-op very sympathetic to a party. But if you're playing them as an opponent, I mean, you, you'll run it the way you want. But I would make sure that it's clear that the co-op use methods that are abhorrent. They might not be summon Oni, but they they're, have no problem, you know, kidnapping children and doing all kinds of other things. My dislike of the Colette, I think, really comes from the old 5R version of them, where they were powerful, privileged people who wanted to be more powerful and more privileged, essentially, and that they were upset that anyone or anything could have power over them. And that was their problem. It wasn't like, this is unjust. It wasn't like, we must overthrow the social order. You know, we must stop these privileged aristocrats from crushing and oppressing the majority. No, no, these were people who wanted to oppress. They they just wanted to be the top of the pyramid. That's all they wanted. And that's certainly not what the cola that we saw in Death's Kiths were doing. And so maybe things are different. <laughs> you need to be careful with your cola in that you need to figure out how powerful uh, you want this conspiracy to be how omniscient, um, as we said, if you make it super omniscient, super powerful, everyone's a sleeper agent or could be, you end up in this corner where it's extremely frustrating to your PCs. So just keep a good gauge on that. I don't like the Oni Eye. I think it's too powerful. I like the human network. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's much more interesting. And it's much more interesting. Yeah, and, and, and in a way, the kind of, in order to have this conspiracy, we need to have these incredibly powerful magic artifacts that do these amazing things that can't be done in any other way. Um, that kind of, I think that, that, that that's almost a, you know, you know it's, it's kind of giving up on humanity in a way. It's like, no, 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 people can do extraordinary things just by being people. You can, you can like, like you were saying, you can have almost that level with just people paying attention. You know, and I think that can be a much more interesting plot line. You can, and and I think it's, you, the question of how powerful you want your Colette to be, there's also how sympathetic do you want your Colette to be, and I think that's a, a an important access. Yes, but that's it for us this week. Uh, hopefully, that gives you some stuff to work with. We wanted to. Give a shout out to our sister podcast and to our patrons. There's a call out to Fortune and Strife, which is still on medical hiatus, but you can spend this time getting caught up on the last episodes, and hopefully we'll be able to have something in June or July. Oh, good. Yeah, it's it's been a while, but he's GM's getting better, so. Glad to hear. Yeah. Shout out to our patrons. Our content is funded by our community Discord patron, which supports both the Discord server, our editing costs, and the websites, and the prizes for this competition that we had, where you can store and see longer-term information. You can see summaries of our podcasts, great RPG tools, and more. For our patrons, we have bonus content. We've, of course, got all these one-page adventure seeds early access to our AP podcasts, and whatever other things we might think of. Online, you can find us at our website, which is courtgamespod.com. On Twitter, we are twitter.com slash courtgamespod. And if you want to support us, you can find us 
at our Patreon at patreon.com slash courtgames. That is it for us this week. This is Kikita Kaori. May the fortunes favor you. And I have been Korvar, and until we meet again, keep your jade handy.